Amen. All right, the kids want to head this way towards the elevator. Not all of them are excited about the kids' time, but they will be when they get in there. Well, again, welcome. If this is your first time joining us, my name is Clint. I'm a pastor here at Gospel Church. We have translation for you this morning uh, into uh, Russian. If you need that, uh, Sasha is sitting over here and can, uh, can help you get set up with that. Well, a few years ago, I was, I was traveling. I was, I was in a city I wasn't um, that familiar with. I knew where I needed to go, but I didn't know how to get there. So I was at the airport. I hopped on this bus, and I was pretty sure that the bus would, would take me there. So we're going on the bus. We get to the first bus stop. People stop. They get out. Second stop, people get out. Third stop, people get out, uh, and so on and so on. And after about the fourth or fifth stop, I'm looking out the window, and things start to look a bit familiar. So I think, okay, this is maybe uh, where I need to be. So I say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exit at the next bus stop. So I waited. I waited a little bit more. We started moving past the place that was familiar. I waited some more. I looked around, and we just kept going and going, and the bus didn't stop. And I thought, why isn't the bus stopping. And then a couple of minutes later, I see someone pull some string, right? There was some string on the bus. And then the light, the stoplight came on and, and the bus driver pulled over. And I was like, oh, I, I was supposed to let the bus driver know I needed to exit there and, and pull the string and he would let me out. So I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll just ride this bus to the end and then swing back around and, and come back to where I need to be. But we kept driving and going. We kept getting further and further. But in my mind, I'm like, all right, it's, it's okay. We'll, we'll loop around and, and we'll come back uh, and I'll get out. But we get to the end, I guess. And uh, the bus driver stops. The last person gets out. I'm thinking, okay, he's just going to turn around. And the bus driver gets up and comes to me and, and says, hey, you need to, to get out. This is the last stop. I was like, well, yeah, yeah, I know, but I, I'm sure the bus comes back around. Can I just ride it and then get off later? He's like, no, you don't understand. This is the last stop. So I got off the bus with my things. You know, I was thinking about this story this week. I don't even know how the story ended. I don't even, I don't know what I did. This was kind of pre-Uber, uh, uh, but I probably got to uh, where I needed to go uh, in some way. But. I just remember being surprised by the last stop. I thought we were going to keep going. I thought the ride was going to continue. I thought I had time to get out. And yet the last stop came, and I wasn't prepared. Well, the past few weeks, I've been preaching a, a short sermon series on the journey of our Christian life. The Bible says we are sojourners uh, in the faith. Last Sunday, we looked at this idea of arrivals and departures, how sometimes in our life we're arriving to a new place. Sometimes we're saying goodbye, we're departing. Before that, we looked at giving God our unattended baggage, let's say. And the first week, we looked at the, the faith journey in Philippians 3 that God has each one of us on. So we've been talking about the journey, the journey, the journey. 
But this morning, in the last part of this sermon series, I want to talk about the destination. So we're on this journey, but this journey is ultimately going somewhere. And I want us this morning to look and think about the last stop. The Bible teaches us that there is a last stop beyond this life. And the questions I want to ask you this morning are, A, are you prepared for the last stop? And secondly, do you live your life as if there is no last stop, as if the bus will just keep going and going and going? So that's what we want to look at this morning. So if you have a Bible, uh, please turn with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation 21, way in the back of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a phone, we ha- we'll have the text for you uh, up on the screen. But Revelation 21, um, we're going to look at one of the most vivid and clear descriptions of the destinations that await. Now, of course, when you speak about the book of Revelation, there's some differing opinions about how we get to Revelation uh, chapter 21. But despite those different viewpoints and different interpretations, nearly everyone agrees that Revelation 21 and 22 are in the future. So look at me at Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So if you don't know, the book of Revelation is a vision seen by the apostle John. God is revealing himself to him. And God is showing John things. And and as John is seeing them, he's writing them down, as we see uh, uh, clearly in in verse uh, verse 1. So John sees a new heaven and a new earth. So many times we talk about heaven, this idea of heaven, the place of heaven, but rarely do we talk about the the new heaven and the new earth. So what's the difference between heaven now and the new heaven and earth to come? Well, reading the Bible, the Bible teaches us that right now there is a real place called heaven. This is where God dwells. This is where Jesus is right now in his physical body after he ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1. This is where the souls of believers go when they die. Remember what Jesus told the thief on the cross. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. So upon death, a believer is immediately spiritually united with Christ in heaven. Of course, their bodies are still on earth. The rest of the Bible teaches us that one day those bodies will be resurrected and believers will be physically present in heaven in their resurrected body. But that comes later. So that is heaven now. That is heaven today. But we also see this picture here in Revelation 21 of heaven in the future, the new heaven and the new earth. It's also a place, but we see that it's a bit different than heaven now. So heaven and earth in the future will no longer be two different realms, right? For, for now, we have earth and we have the realm of heaven. But in the future, it will be as one. One author says, the new heaven and earth will be like this earth in some ways, but far greater, more beautiful, and perfect. 
As believers, we will walk, run, worship, celebrate in a physical heaven slash earth with glorified, resurrected bodies. So one day we read there will be a new heaven, a new earth. In verse 2, we see that there will be a new Jerusalem. So in the Old Testament, God chose a nation, Israel, to be his people. He gave them the promised land. And Jerusalem was the center, the, the hub of religious activity in that land. But in the New Testament, we read about the new covenant coming through Jesus Christ, who came to earth to die for our sins. And then God expanded his people beyond Israel to include every one of us who believes in Jesus Christ. This is the church. And throughout the Bible, God uses this imagery of marriage, as we see in verse 2, to talk about his relationship to his people. So the church is referred to as, uh, here in the New Jerusalem, as the bride. Of course, in most weddings, one of the most joyful moments is when the bride and the groom see each other on the wedding day. Maybe if you're married, you remember that moment. And the bride wants to look her best for her husband that day. And when they finally see each other in that moment, there is much joy. And in the same way, Christ, the bridegroom, when he sees his church, the bride, there is joy. The union and the church of God and the church comes at last. And it's a celebration. Verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be no more mourning, crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The story of the Bible leads us to the last stop. It leads us to this final destination. The story of the Bible is about the king and his kingdom. It's about God and his people. In the new covenant, Jesus was named Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so the story of the whole Bible has been moving in that direction. So it started in the garden when God dwelt with, with Adam and Eve, but Adam and Eve and all of us rejected God. We were separated from him. That fellowship was broken. So when sin came into the world in Genesis 3, the effects of sin were everywhere. There was death, there was pain, there was disease, there was Broken hearts, broken relationships. These are what lead us to tears of sorrow. But here in the end, at the last stop, the believer's fellowship with God is fully restored. There will be no effects of sin, so therefore there will be no more pain, no more death, no more disease. These things have passed away. The effects of sin are completely undone. As I said, the Bible begins with, God in the garden dwelling with Adam and Eve. And the Bible ends with God dwelling with us, his people. You know, the story of the Bible, simply put, is creation. God created everything. The fall, sin comes into the world. The rest of the Bible is the story of redemption. And here at the end of the Bible, we see the final part of that process, God's restoration. And that leads me to my first point this morning, which I always make when I preach about heaven. 
And that is heaven is only heaven because God is there. Heaven is heaven only because God is there. When the world talks about heaven, it's primarily talked about as a place. And, of course, heaven is a place, which I said earlier. But the reason heaven is where we want to be is because that's where God dwells. In Philippians 1, when Paul talks about dying, he talks about getting to be with Christ. As I said earlier, Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, of course, we know as believers, Jesus is with us always. Spiritually, we are united with Christ as believers. Christ in us, the hope of glory. But there is a fullness that we don't experience until death. Sometimes people call this the already, but not yet. So we currently taste many aspects of heaven, but when we die, we will experience all of those aspects in the fullness. And the best part of heaven is that we get to be with Jesus fully. Heaven is only heaven because Jesus is there. You know, I've told this story before about a friend telling me that there were uh, cheap tickets, cheap plane tickets to Miami. And I said, Miami? Why would I want to go to Miami? And he said, well, you know, you're from that country. You could speak the language there. You're familiar with the food. You could kind of feel like you were at home. And I said, yeah, but I don't know anyone in Miami. I've never been to Miami. Miami might be in the country I'm from, but Miami isn't home for me. Of course, my friend had good intentions. He was just trying to, to, to help me, but he missed the key point. Even though Miami is in my country, it wouldn't feel like home to me at all. I don't know anyone there. The food might be familiar. The scenery might be beautiful. I could speak the language, but that wouldn't make me feel like home. Home for me being means being around my family, my wife's family, seeing old friends that I grew up with, spending time with people that I love. My point is, heaven is only heaven because Jesus is there. If we got to heaven only to find out Jesus wasn't there, it would be empty. We wouldn't be satisfied. It would be like going home but finding that your family isn't there. It would be disappointing. So it's not the location, the place, that fills our hearts with joy and hope. It's about the person, our God, who is there that fills us with joy. The point isn't the location. The point is that finally, at last, we will be with the Lord. This is why I don't understand people who have rejected Jesus, but who still want to go to heaven one day. Because heaven is all about Jesus. If you rejected him, why would you always want to be with him? It would be like going to your enemy's birthday party, right? And you just see people, you know, praising your enemy. It's like you, you don't want to be there. But again, I think people say this because they think about heaven as a location more than thinking about who is there. Heaven feels like home because our Lord is there. We're united with him. Fully. One author says, we may imagine we want a different, uh, a thousand different things in heaven, but God is the one we really long for. His presence brings satisfaction. 
His absence brings thirst and longing. Our longing for heaven is a longing for God. Heaven's not about getting a mansion, getting a Lamborghini. It's about being united with our Lord. And in verse 4, we read about the hope of heaven. All those painful things of this life, death, sin, grief, tears, sadness, will be gone. In Genesis 3, sin came into the story, but in Revelation 21, sin leaves the story. You know, maybe you're in a moment right now where you are suffering, and you're saying to yourself, how long, oh Lord, how long will this suffering continue? And maybe you even feel this morning like you're about to crack or you're about to break. Let me encourage you this morning with the hope of heaven. The hope of heaven is that there will be a day of no, no more injustice, no more pain, no more. And our hearts long for this day, that the day evil will pass away, suffering will pass away, the worries of life, the problems of life will fade away, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But until that day, we follow Jesus through the mountains and valleys of this life. Verse 5, it says, And he who was seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the springs of the, life, uh, springs of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God. He will be his son. Here in these verses, God speaks. He says, it is done. What is done? Well, it's the salvation of believers and the judgment of unbelievers that was written about in chapter 20. As I said earlier, believers, we live in this state of already, but not yet. We are saved, but God will work out the final triumph of good over evil in these last days. Therefore, we praise God today for salvation, but we anticipate, we hope in God's final deliverance. And here God says that he is the Alpha and the omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. That is to say God is over everything. He is sovereign and powerful over all things. So on this side of eternity, we have faith and hope in God, and there's many people in the world who don't believe him. But in the end, there will be no doubt who is fully in control of all things. All life springs from him, and he is fully in control. And in verse 6, we read again that we are saved by the grace of God, it's by grace we are saved through faith in Jesus. Verse 6 says that God gives us living water. He gives it to you. It's God's grace. In other words, you can't buy a ticket to heaven. Verse 6 even says, I will give you the water of life without payment. So you can't pay for it. All you can do is receive it from God. And in the same way, you can't earn a ticket to heaven. It doesn't matter how much good you do in this life. It will never be enough. You can't buy a ticket. You can't earn a ticket. So how then do we get to heaven? It's purely by the grace of God. You can't buy the ticket because the ticket has already been paid for by Jesus. You were bought and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. All you can do 
is receiving. And verse, says, verse 7 says, when you do receive it, you become a part of the family of God. God as our father and us as his sons and daughters. In the new heavens and the new earth, the family will fi- finally be home together. John chapter 14 says that Jesus has prepared a place for you in his father's house and you won't lack anything. It doesn't matter how dysfunctional your family life was here on earth. We look forward to being with our heavenly father forever. Verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So in the first seven verses, the Bible speaks about the glorious reality of the new heavens and new earth. But here in verse 8, it talks about the sobering reality of hell. So what do we know about hell from God's word? First of all, we know that hell is a place. We see in verse 8 that hell is referred to as a lake that burns with sulfur and fire. This is also seen in Revelation 20 when Satan is, is judged by Christ. In Matthew chapter 25, uh, Jesus refers to hell as a place of eternal punishment. So it's a not, not a place where people go and stop existing. Rather, it's a place of conscious torment. And that leads me to my second point this morning, and that is hell is just as real as heaven. Hell is just as real as heaven. You know, many people, even non-believers, love the biblical idea of heaven, but reject the biblical idea of hell. But the same Bible that teaches us about heaven is the same Bible that teaches us about the reality of hell. Of course, Jesus spoke about hell many times. You know, as I said last week, we can't choose which parts of the Bible that we want to hear about. In Acts chapter 20, which we looked at last week, Paul said he had no regrets with the church in Ephesus because he had preached the whole counsel of God. He had shared all of God's word with him. The truths that were easy to digest and the truths that were harder to digest. The reality is, is that hell is real and we, we must warn people about the dangers of rejecting Christ. So that brings the question, who will be in hell? And we have this list in, in verse 8. And it's those who have not turned away from their sin and trusted Jesus as Savior. So instead of experiencing the goodness, the grace, and mercy of God through Jesus, rather they experience the wrath of God and judgment and will be separated from him eternally. For those who reject God, who live their own way instead of his way, they will be consigned to an eternity without God. In other words, it's the opposite of the no mores listed in verse 4. Instead of no more, it's more, right? More pain, more suffering, more grief. Another author says, this list warns us that we cannot truly follow Christ, yet deny him in how we live. The list of sins provides the severest possible warnings against such offenses. The truth is, if you don't love God, (laughs) you won't live for him. 
It will show in your actions, in your choices. The Bible says we show our love for God by obeying His commands. And this picture in chapter, in verse 8, is people who've rejected Christ, people who prefer sin over righteousness. And we should also say it's not a picture of people saying, God, give me one more chance. That's not what we see here. Rather, it's a picture of people who've rejected God and are getting exactly what they want. The author Tim Keller said, hell is simply one's freely chosen path going on forever. He gets that from Romans chapter 1, which says that God gave us over to the sinful desires of our hearts, right? We didn't want God's way. We wanted our own way, and God said, okay. And then the downward spiral of sin happened. Remember in the Gospels, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man was wealthy. He only cared about himself, and Lazarus had nothing. So they both died in the story. Lazarus went to heaven, and the rich man went to hell. And the rich man asked Abraham to send Lazarus back to, back to earth to warn his brothers about hell. But Abraham tells the rich man that if his brothers didn't believe the prophets, if they didn't believe the Bible, they wouldn't believe someone from heaven either. But also in this short parable, we see this rich man, he's not begging to escape hell. As another author says, the rich man knew he was in hell, and he knew why he was in hell. As I said, hell is a picture of people who've rejected God getting exactly what they want. So the picture of hell here is, is bleak. But I would also say at the same time, the fear of hell is not enough. So I remember back when I was a kid and we would go to uh, these church camps and it would be a bunch of kids there. And in the evenings, you know, there would be this preaching and teaching time. And many times the, the preacher would preach about hell. And at the end, he would say, you know, come to the front if you don't want to go, go to hell and receive prayer. Well, naturally, every kid comes to the front, you know, in tears, saying, I don't want to go to hell, you know. And I was sincere. I, I was with them, too. I didn't want to go to hell. At the same time, I didn't understand the hope of heaven. It's not enough to just be afraid of hell or to seek fire insurance, as they say. You must believe in Jesus. You must believe that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried and, and rose three days later, that it's by his grace you are saved through faith. The gospel isn't about fire insurance. It's about uh, faith assurance in our Lord. Because the reality is, is that we all deserved hell. We chose our own way instead of God's way, even when God told us this way would lead to sin and death. But the good news of the gospel is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Don't delay, because the truth is you don't know how much time you have. You know, that day I was on the bus, I thought I could just keep riding and going. I thought I had more time. But suddenly, without knowing it was happening, I was at the last stop. Don't leave today without securing your future 
with Christ. There is nothing more important. The rest of chapter 21 is a, a vivid and detailed description of the New Jerusalem. You can read it uh, later on at home. But let me just say it's magnificent. It's beautiful, streets made of gold, and the city walls made with every kind of jewel. Look with me, jump ahead to uh, uh, verses 22 through 27. It says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its, lamb, its, light, its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's no need for a temple because God is there. There's no need for a sun or moon because the glory of God gives us light. Jesus, the lamb, is the lamp, it says. And it says the gates won't shut because no one can come in and attack. Unlike the Garden of Eden where sin came into the world, nothing false or unclean can enter the new Jerusalem. And it says here the only uh, 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 people who can enter are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, that is, believers. You know, the Lamb's book of life refers to a book that is Jesus. The Lamb's book of life, Jesus is the Lamb, right? Jesus' book of life. And it includes the names of those who are sons and daughters of God. We see another reference in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. It says, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Through Jesus, we are not only conquerors, it says here, but Romans says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So once a person believes in Jesus, they are saved. Their names are in the Lamb's book of life. And Jesus says, I won't block out your names. Your names can't be removed. Or to say it a different way, God writes your name in ink, not in pencil. What I mean is that God's list, the Lamb's book of life, isn't rent, written in pencil, meaning if you have a bad day, if you have a bad week, or if you have a bad month or year, whatever, then he erases your name. Conversely, if you have a good day, he doesn't put your name back on the list, right? It's not about your performance. It's not about what you can do for God. It's about what God has done for you. You can't buy your ticket. Your ticket's been paid for. God doesn't write your name down with pencil. God writes your name down with ink. It can't be erased. And Revelation 17 teaches us our names were written down before the creation of the world. So we couldn't do anything to get on the list. Therefore, we can't do anything to get off the list. Our names are written in ink, not with a pencil. Praise God. Look at me at these last verses, chapter 22, verses 1 through 4. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations, 
No longer there will, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. There will be no uh, light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So the new Jerusalem is a city, but we see here nature will be present too. The river of the water of life is flowing through the city from the throne of God to the middle of the street. The tree of life, which makes us think back to the Garden of Eden, will be there too, right? And it's this idea of everything that was fractured or broken back by sin in the garden is redeemed in the city. Sin will be no more. And at last, we will see God face to face. So what will we do there? Well, we don't have a ton of information, but we do see some things in this, these verses. Verse 3 says we will worship and serve the Lord. Verse 5 says that we will reign with him forever and ever. But the significant thing about heaven is heaven satisfies all of our desires and the longings of our heart. It fulfills our deepest desires, desires to be with God. Verse 4 says that we will see him face to face. It fulfills our deepest desires to live in, in a place with no pain and no suffering and no, no grief. Even in these verses, heaven fulfills our deep appreciation for beauty and nature, right? God didn't decorate the new Jerusalem with cheap materials. No, the description we read today is one of beauty. So how do we connect Revelation 21 and 22 with today? How does our future help us with our present? Let me make one last point this morning, and that is our destination gives us strength for the journey. Our destination gives us strength for the journey. The journey of faith we are on can take us into all sorts of different directions. Sometimes we know where God is leading us. Sometimes we don't have any idea. And it can be tempting to try to take control or to use a, a driving metaphor. It can be tempting to grab the steering wheel in our lives and take control of the journey. You know, I remember when my wife Melissa and I first got married, and one of our biggest ongoing fights we had at the beginning was when we, we would be in the car together. Now, remember, these were the days before Google Maps. We didn't have a GPS. So we would be driving somewhere, and it didn't matter who was driving, if it was me or her. The other person, you know, would make some comments like, slow down, no, turn, turn here, oh, you should have went that way. And whoever was driving, whichever one of us would driving, would get upset and just be like, would you just let me drive, you know? These, happen, these arguments happened all the time, especially on Sundays on the way to church. Maybe you can relate. But that all changed with the smartphone. That all changed with Google Maps because I could just type in the destination and let the app get us there. It didn't matter if I knew the roads we were taking or not. It didn't matter if we were on a fast road or a slow road. We didn't have to stress because the app was going to get us to our final destination. When you know your final destination, when you know that this journey of life is heading toward a better place, it can give us strength for the journey today. 
You don't need to stress because there's unexpected turns. You don't need to worry because you can trust that God is in control. You can trust that God will get you to the final destination. Imagine yourself as one of that, that little blue dot, right, we see on Google Maps. Like, God is going to get that little blue dot of your life to the final destination. This book, the book of Revelation, was meant to be an encouragement to the believers who were facing hard times. Sometimes we can forget that because we think the book of Revelation, we think about, you know, dragons and, and interpretations and all these things. It was meant to be an encouragement to believers facing hard times. The apostle John who was writing this was on the island of Patmos in exile when he received this revelation. It was meant to encourage believers then, and it's meant to encourage us as believers now. Heaven is supposed to bring us hope in the midst and the pain and death of this life. Yes, we will grieve and experience pain in this life, but as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 1, we grieve in a different way. We grieve with hope. We grieve knowing that this world is not all that there is. We have hope knowing that there will be a day when we will see our Savior face to face, when we will be united with our Lord. While we are here in the valley of the shadow of death, we're also called to remind each other of our future hope in Christ. We're called to encourage each other that this world is not all that there is. Therefore, live today like you're going to heaven. Don't live your life as if this life is all that there is. This life is not the end. We know from the Bible this life is the beginning. Jesus told us, don't store your treasures here on earth where they will rust and, and, and be destroyed. Store your treasure in heaven where it will last forever. The more you invest in your heavenly home today, the more your heart will be there. Home is where the heart is. So set your mind and your heart on things that are above, not on things on earth. 2 Corinthians 5 says you have a home in heaven from God, a house not made with hands that is eternal in heavens. Jesus has prepared a place for you. And the great thing about our destination, the great thing about heaven is you don't need to pack anything. You can't pack anything anyway, but you don't need a lot of boxes. You don't need a lot of suitcases. Because Jesus is there, you have everything you need for eternity. Don't live your life today as if this is all that there is. Live your life like you're going to heaven. You know, there's this old saying about traveling that it's not about the destination, but that it's about the journey. In other words, we when we travel, we spend so much time trying to get to where we're trying to go that we uh, miss out on the enjoyment of getting there. But I would say that in the Bible we read that it's about the journey and it's about the destination. God cares where your little blue GPS dot is today, and he will guide you to the final destination, the new heavens and new earth in the future. So this morning, keep going on this journey of faith. Don't lose heart. This life is not the end. This life is just beginning. Your passport might say Poland or Spain or the Netherlands, but these are only temporary places for us. As we read at the beginning in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven where our Savior waits. 
So in your suffering, press on. In your triumphs and accomplishes, accomplishments, press on. Don't lose heart knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us also with Jesus and bring you in to his presence. So we got to keep going. We got to keep growing in the Lord. Though our outer self is wasting away, that is our physical body, the inner self, that is your spirit, is getting stronger and stronger day by day. Therefore, share in the sufferings of Christ with joy, because the suffering you are going through right now will seem like a brief moment when compared to the weight of glory that is prepared for you. So press on, because the hope we have in heaven is beyond all comparison of that which we experience in this life. Keep following Jesus. Keep following where he's going, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Press on because you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Knowing there will be a day with no more pain, no more tears, no more death, when you will dwell with our God in full. Evil will pass away. Suffering will pass away. Diseases will pass away. The worries of your life will pass away. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to invite the worship team to, to come forward and lead us in a song of response to, to God's word. And in a moment, as usual, we're going to have a time of invitation. It's a time where you're invited to come forward and share with someone out loud what God's doing in your heart. You know, I found in my own life there's something powerful about telling another person what God is doing in your life. So if God is working on your heart this morning, if God is dealing with you this morning, we want to we help you. We want to pray for you. And this is just an opportunity to respond to, to what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do this morning. You know, maybe this morning in reading Revelation, you've realized that your final destination is not secure, that you haven't trusted Jesus as Lord. If that's you this morning God, and God is moving you to turn from your sins, to trust in Christ as Savior, I invite you to come forward. I'd love to pray with you. Don't wait another month. Don't wait another week. Don't delay. You know, or maybe you're going through something right now. You are suffering. You feel tired. You feel weary. And it's hard for you to imagine this picture at the end of Revelation of the no mores. Because right now you're experiencing so much. You know, the Bible calls us as a church to bear one another's burdens. You were never meant to carry that burden, whatever that is, alone. I would love to pray with you and encourage you to. So however God is leading you this morning, this is a time for you to respond. I'll be up here at the front. Uh, let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope of heaven. We thank you that our final destination can be secured. Jesus, you said in this life, we will experience trouble, but to not fear because you have overcome the world. God, we anticipate that day. We look forward to that day. So help us to live in that reality. Help us to live like we're going to heaven. Help us not to live as if this life is all that there is. I pray for anyone, God, even in this moment, whose heart you're working on. God, we don't know the number of our days. You know the number of our days. So I pray for, for, for everyone that we wouldn't hesitate to respond to what you're doing in our heart this morning. We love you, Father. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't we all stand up and worship God together?